1: Thank you for listening to BRC and Friends. This is another episode that is done in partnership between First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto and BRC and Friends. In this series, you're gonna be hearing from candidates for the Palo Alto City Council. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow. And this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything else that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for me to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto webinars, a place where we engage the hearts and minds of academics, artists, authors, uh, and, and folks who are trying to make the world a better place. My name is Bruce reyes Chow, and I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church. Uh, today's webinar is part of a series where I'm interviewing 2020 candidates for Palo Alto City Council. In this set of interviews, I hope to not only get to know the issues that are important to each candidate, but also to get to know them, uh, know the person behind the politician. We'll be taking questions later, as always. So please use the Q&A feature. You can do that anytime and we'll get to those later in the program. Uh, It is recorded and we will share this on our church YouTube channel and Instagram TV, as well as post the audio as part of my podcast, BRC and Friends. Very excited today. I welcome city council candidate, Carrie Templeton. So let's just start, just dive in, Carrie. We have an hour to be together. Um, Tell us about you. Who is is Carrie? Let let the people know.
2: Oh my goodness. Um, Well, I'm a mom. Have two lovely children here in the Palo Alto School District in uh, Ohlone Elementary and Fletcher Middle School. Um, I'm a former tech worker. I had a career in program management in uh, various tech companies. And my my last one was I spent about 10 years at Google. Um, I'm also a public servant. I have been getting involved in city boards and commissions. Uh, Most recently, I'm the chair of the Planning and Transportation Commission which uh, has been really fun and interesting and educational and, and good prep for city council. Um, yeah, I, I'm also someone who likes to balance the technical side of, of my life with, uh, you know, arts and literature and, and the softer side of academics. Um, I got a master's degree from Stanford and my thesis was on fairy tales, which was amazing. <laughs> So, um, I really like, you basically,
1: you use both sides of your brain is what you're saying.
2: I I do. And it turns out if I do too much of one, I I sort of miss the other. I need both in my life. So, um, yeah, that, that was one of the reasons I chose to leave high tech, uh, was I had been so long, um, doing the, the technical side that I really had neglected my, um, Uh, liberal arts side. So that's why I went and got went back and got my my master's. It was a part time nighttime degree. Any of you guys can do it. It's a really great program. Um, But uh, yeah, that's been fun. So now I feel a little bit more balanced because I'm doing public service, which is a little bit of both. You need your technical side and your creative side. Mm -hmm.
1: Cool. Great. Uh, So how long have you been in Palo Alto? Uh,
2: We moved here in 2005.
1: Okay, great. 15 years. So you're, you're running for a city council and you know, I know it's a, it's volunteer. You've already been doing commission work. So you know about the time and I mean all these things that a lot of people might look at that and be like, Oh, I just, I don't, I do not have time, energy, bandwidth. My family would not want me to do this, all those kinds of things, but you're, you're diving in, uh, running for city council. So why, 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 what, what brought you into this, this particular moment to, to run for city council?
2: Um, yeah, I guess my answer would be twofold here. So in in the aftermath of the 2016 election, which, which really didn't go the way I hoped it would go, um, a lot of our leaders were, were helping console our, our community with the idea that, well, we can get involved in local politics and have a pretty significant impact there just by having a seat at the table and, and sharing a voice and amplifying the voices of other people in our community. So that's really what got me um, got me started with the boards and commissions and and things like that. Um, I also got involved in local politics, just trying to figure out how it works and how I can help and how we can make sure that the great candidates are running and, and have the support they need and things like that. So I worked on about twenty campaigns in twenty eighteen for um, doing graphic design work. I I helped uh, with communications and data and things like that, just to to help people get. Elected, and most of those candidates were people I met through the emerge program, and uh, so they were mostly women, um, a, a women of color, progressives, things like that. So, trying to help further the cause by em- empowering and and giving my um, my services to um, other people who were running. And what I what I learned was, you know you can do it. Anyone can do it. Anyone can run. I encourage you all to think about it. Um, and you know, it's, it's really, um, it's daunting and it's a little stressful, but it's, it ends. And, you know, once the campaign is over, you've either changed the tone, you know, the topics of the election or you've been able to get, get, um, on on the the seat you were running for and and then carry on the the promises of your campaign. So it seems to me like it's a win-win to run. And uh, this year, you know, I wasn't quite planning to run yet. Um, But when the um, COVID-related financial crisis hit our city, I realized that it was was time to step up. Um, The kinds of projects I had worked on in high tech were often turnarounds. I do have the skill to help us kind of get back on track uh, as we, as we try to exit this pandemic, you know, safely and, and financially sound. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think this was the time uh, for, for me to step up.
1: Great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you have to love the city in order for you to kind of sacrifice this time and energy. And I mean, it be willing to put this kind of work in Why why do you, what do you love about Palo Alto? I mean, I'm new here. I've been here just a little over a year and learning to love parts of it and some of it I'm still getting used to and wondering about. And But, you know, as I'm getting used to my new home, uh, what do you love about Palo Alto?
2: Uh, it's, it's a fun thing to talk about. I I would say it's it's different now than when I first moved here. I, I first thought, um, you know, schools are great. Uh, there's a lot of trees. It's a slower pace of life. We have a little you know, suburban feel to our small city. Um, and now that I'm, I've been here, I I realize that there are so many more wonderful things to appreciate about Palo Alto, like a com- uh, incredibly active community. We have so many protests. We have so many people come and do public comment at our public meetings, our city council, our commission. It's, it's amazing. And This is very, very special. It's not something that I've had anywhere else I've lived. Um, I would say also, you know, we have uh, a mix of people that have grown up here and people that have made their careers here, people that have retired here. Um, it's, It's kind of amazing how many different aspects our community has. And of course, we also have different, uh, national origin and, and religions and ethnicities and things like that as well. So it's, it's got a, a diversity uh, that I didn't really appreciate when I first chose to live here, but I really see it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly been, you know, uh, was 30 years in San Francisco. So, um, <laughs> you know, coming here, I, I would have never thought that this was, uh, would be where I ended up. I mean, it really is. Uh, I mean, you know, San Franciscans were pretty, pretty smug. And so I used to make fun of Palo Alto. I will fully admit that, you know, Palo Alto. And, and I would say coming here, um, I've really come to appreciate some of the, what you've just said, right? The the vibe is a little bit slower paced. Like I find myself driving down some of these streets and being like, slow down. You have all, <laughs> I can't tell, like, you know, people were looking at me like, I used to like street race when I was a teenager, not healthy, healthy or wise. But and I'm, now I'm like, come on, you guys take your time. What are you doing? The speed limit's 25, you know. Um, yep. So I've appreciated that. I've, um, you know, walking and wide streets. I mean, a lot of the things that you kind of have said, I've really um, come to, I mean, there's still some stuff I'm getting used to. And I think, you know, new lens and new eyes kind of stepping into a space. I, I mean, so you're, you're obviously running at the same time, right? All these things that, you know, you love about Palo what I'm beginning to really appreciate But there's certainly challenges, right? So there's certainly things that there's a reason you're running. If everything was perfect and ideal, people don't run to try to create change. So what do you think the challenges are then for the city? What are, what are you thinking? Here are the major things that we need to really pay attention to in the future as a, as a community.
2: Oh, well, um, certainly I think there's an external challenge in the pandemic and, and getting through it and, and, getting back on track everybody has the simultaneous like opposing forces of wanting to get back to normal but wanting to stay healthy and stay safe right so we have to deal with this and it's it's complicated because livelihoods are depending on this life is depending on this right um you know do we do we want to put people at risk and and um try to drum drum up more business so that our businesses don't fall apart so that when we're through the pandemic there's something still standing you know it's it's a terrible question it's a terrible thing for all of us to deal with and i'm i'm really appreciative of of all of those who are participating in this dialogue including our faith community it's it's really challenging and so what i want to do is is find ways to 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 see what additional options we have so we don't put people at risk and so that we don't have our businesses fall apart. And so that people aren't being evicted or things like that. We really want to find a way to, to be as cautious um, as possible while still trying to, to move forward. So that's one um, area that I'm, I'm focused on. Also, you know, the other external <laughs> factor is climate change. It's, it's coming. We're feeling it. Where our air is affected, our the the heat <laughs> is affected. You know, when I first moved here, we would have the, the hundred degree weather um, during uh, one or two weeks in October, but but never you know multiple months in the summer like we're having now. It's it's definitely evident about the change and something that that we're locally contributing to it is how how our housing and transportation approaches are not addressing climate change. So I'd really like to see um, us come together and, and talk about this in earnest. And, and I recognize that there's some folks who, you know, want to see a slower rate of, of housing um, than, than others who want to see a a much, much higher rate. And we're having those opposing forces as well within our own community. Um, But I think if we can frame it in the terms of, of how, Uh, The lack of affordability leads to commutes that are excessive. Uh, We have workers from Stockton, from Tracy uh, coming to our community. Those are two-hour commutes in in regular non-pandemic times uh, each way. And that's contributing to our greenhouse gases, things like that. So we can think about what what can we do as regional leaders to uh, get motion uh, on on solving the regional transportation issue a little bit better. Right now we have this big loop <laughs> uh, that's incomplete that we're trying to complete. Um, and, you know, the, the folks in the central Valley, you know, if that's still where they need to live, can we do something about that? Can we find more housing opportunities in the Bay area uh, rather than um, doing sprawl out into the central Valley? So sprawl is something I certainly oppose and we need to figure out ways. There are ways to do it, we need to find the right way for Palo Alto. And I think that's the question really, the dialogue we need to have. Um, It can't be all or nothing. It needs to be something that fits for our city. And the final aspect of of, um, change that I wanna push for is really around modernizing our city government. So what does this mean? To me, this means uh, understanding diversity and equity and inclusion need to be part of how we govern our boards and commissions and panels and anything appointed, we need to ask our questions, ourselves questions about uh, how our appointments are achieving those goals of, of equity and inclusion. Um, so another thing we, we should think about in a modern way is what does it mean to create public safety in Palo Alto? And part of that is, of, of course, understanding um, policing in a different way. Do we, do we need the level of arms that we have? Uh, do we need armed first responders for every kind of instance that's reported? I, I, I recognize that we have a, um, a mental health crisis here in Palo Alto. Should we have mental health first responders? And I think we're even starting to talk about that now, which is amazing, right? This Isn't is a huge step forward.
1: Yeah. Think about yeah. some of these things people are talking about and like even three or four years ago, we wouldn't have been.
2: Right. So, so we're making progress on this. And, and I think also we need social workers um, that we can deploy for, for certain types of offenders or repeat offenders or people that are, the police are called on, but it's not a police appropriate thing. And this person may need more help. And we're, that sort of comes from the County. um, And we're sort of at the North end of the County in a really affluent community. And there's, maybe not as much attention, but we, we need to speak up and ask for what we need because we do, we do need social services. We do need mental right. health support as well as our police. So those are, yeah. those are the kinds of things I really want to focus okay. on.
1: Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not too much. You <laughs> <know>. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's- <laughs> And, and that's all within the six, first six months of your term. So let's say, you know, <laughs> then you can come up with the next rounds of things. Well, this actually leads us right into kind of talking about some specifics that you've already touched on, which has been really helpful. Before we jump in, though, I want to remind people, go ahead and put your questions into the Q&A at any point uh, during this time. Uh, uh, Derek will is tracking the uh, chat room and is going to keep asking you to put questions into the Q&A, and then I'll open those up and Carrie and, uh, and I will both see them. So feel free to go ahead and, and put those in. Any time so let 's go ahead and start with our first question, which kind of just uh, from what you were just talking about, um, you know around institutional racism, policing you know there 's lots of conversations about reform and defunding or re- re- reapportionment, um, abolition. Uh, I certainly have my opinions, which i, I will share it with you a little bit too, but just kind of I just want to leave the space open for each candidate to talk a little bit about. Where they, where they stand, your thoughts around institutional racism, one, as, as a community, and then how, how should we begin to look at policing, which you've already started to touch on. So just give you some space to go ahead and share with us. What do you, you think of these days?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. Institutional racism is is so interesting because we have, you know, as a community, really not allowed ourselves to to acknowledge it and to notice it for many decades and to, during this same time, you know, acknowledging any racism within uh, oneself or one's government has been terrifying, right? People, many people here um, do not identify as racist. I would say almost everyone in our community would not admit, uh, you know, or, or intentionally call themselves racist, but our our government and our policies have um, set up a system where racism exists, whether intentional or not. And that's really the the big awakening that that many of us uh, have had this this year with the um, escalation in police deaths of Black people and people of color. Um, it's something we're looking at and we're, we're doing some internal exploration. And I think that's really important. So, you know, if anyone out there is is struggling and going through this and, and trying to understand this better, keep going. This is incredibly important. And this is how we're going to change the, the situation. Um, the The things that I have observed in government are really how how the the power is distributed right now we do have boards and panels and commissions that are appointed by people that are elected but if you also look the people who are elected often come from that pool of people who have been appointed to public service, right? It's a great place to learn and grow and meet, understand how the city works, things like that. And this is true at every level, not just the city. We have those um, same kinds of commissions at the county level, the state level, and higher up. Um, So if, how do we get new uh, types of people, new people with different backgrounds, experiences um, to, to run for city council, right? How do we get people that may understand uh, and recognize institutional racism in our ordinances that, that maybe some other current council members might not, or, or the next set of council members might not. How do we get people with different perspectives involved? And I think the way to do it is to start with our boards and commissions and panels, right? If we can make an intentional choice during the appointment process to think about the perspectives that a person brings, and make sure that we are as uh, diverse as possible. And I don't just mean ethnicity, I mean, renters versus non-renters. I mean, parents versus, um, you know, uh, people without children or young people who who haven't started their families yet. I I mean, economic diversity, right? Different levels, um, you know, of, of working experience. So, you know, that's that's something we can do and there's been studies in behavioral economics around how do we how do we make sure that people comply with their goals um, in a way that that doesn't feel overbearing and I'll, I'll throw this little anecdote out there but um the the reason that we now sign the honor code before taking an exam is because of this behavioral economic study the, the more Uh, closely you review your goals before making the decision on whether or not to comply with them, the more likely you are to comply. So I was thinking we could do something like that during our boards and panels and commissions uh, appointment process, right? We could uh, have, you know, a list of goals and types of diversity that we may want to consider and continue to iterate on that uh, over the years. So I think if we can review those goals at the time of appointment, um, we'll, we'll end up with a, a much more diverse group of appointees and start feeding into to the, the system of who, who might want to run for office and who would have the, the ability to build those relationships and experience to run for office. So that's one of the ways I'd like to address institutional racism. Um, moving on to policing, I, I think this is such a challenge because you know, we do have the luxury of living in a very safe community. And we have um, something like fifty armed sworn officers, and that 's part of of the solution, but we don 't have all of the safety we don 't have some of the um, the safety that's that 's needed for people who uh, may be experiencing a mental health crisis or someone that that may be having a health crisis that looks like a mental health crisis and, mm-hmm. and we had one of those incidents last summer. I don't know if you uh, had, had moved here yet, but there was a, a woman who was, ha- she was a field trained medic. She was having a stroke and recognized the signs of it in herself and came outside to ask someone to call because she was experiencing symptoms and wasn't able to call. And um, uh, a young man was outside, I think 14 year old or something like that, very young. And he, he was the one that made the call and the first responder um, dispatcher uh, asked him some questions about her state and he didn't know the answer and he was sort of put Mm. on the spot and so um one of the questions was i believe around drug use or something like that and so instead they had dispatched the ambulance they held the ambulance for 20 minutes until an armed police officer could arrive and as you know during a stroke that that is a deadly 20 minutes, right? Uh, She fortunately survived and shared her story, which was um, really Mm. enlightening. But, you know, I think about that as a case where, you know, do we need to send an armed first responder? What if we'd had a different type of first responder that could have gotten there? Or if our, if our priority was her health and and right. maybe we could have um, let that, that EMT person help her, right? That would have been better. So that's one of the things that we really do have to look at because our current model is just uh, dangerous. And we, we also know about the other dangers with, um, you know, some of our community members meeting with police violence. On the other hand, we have um, community members being met with uh, racism, like very overt racism, uh, especially against our Asian American community right now, um, being stoked at the national levels, but we 're seeing it present here. what can we do to help those community members feel safe if if we were to um, you know reduce our armed officers so that we could provide the mental health first responders and the social workers would they would they feel safer? They might not right So we do have a tension in our community about how do we how do we have the best concept of public safety and I think we really need to explore it in depth because safety is not always armed, right? Safety is sometimes yeah. a nurturing response and, and, and helping someone get the care they need. So, yeah, that's something I really want to explore in more depth. That's great.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, this is... The conversations we're having now uh, you know, are brought to the forefront by everything that's happened, you know, obviously been happening for a long time, but George Floyd's murder has certainly brought that to light for, for us. I always, I'm fascinated by Palo Alto's police department in that it is, you know, it's 19% of the budget around there, which is low in relative to some other cities, but it's still 19% of our budget is to, to pal- to police. And um, still, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that, you know, like how, how militarized does our police department really need to be like in Palo Alto? I mean, in, Again, it, it right. feels like, it's like I think we could make some, some different choices. But I, And the thing I love about Palo Alto in terms of its small town vibe and its relative, I think unless you're generally speaking black or brown, this is a very, um, it's not a policed community, right? It's not, folks are not kind of looking for crime to happen and going and, and finding folks for, mo- for the most part. It feels like we could actually be a laboratory for some creative things that that if we are able to kind of leverage the resources and the innovation that we claim to have, why not place that kind of thinking with the police department and how do we actually model some ways of, for public safety that's gonna be different. I think that potential is, is huge. Um, I will say, I, and I've told every candidate there, I'm not a big fan of the eight can't wait just because um, I come out of San Francisco and they signed all eight and that police department is like, okay great yeah minneapolis was six of eight i mean there's there's a lot of folks in where i am is just like that only i think it, it fools us into thinking some things that are going to shift and so how do we really get to significant police uh policing changes uh i think is 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 worth the conversation so it,
2: absolutely it, and we've heard from many members of our community uh our our um Black Lives Matter speakers this summer are um, uh, activists that are black and brown members of our community. We've heard from a lot of these folks that, you know, while it may be comfortable for a large percentage of Palo Alto, if you fit in certain groups, it's pretty uncomfortable and yeah. um, and menacing. And that's that's not okay. We don't want members mm-hmm. of our community to to be afraid of our own police. That's not... That's not a win. Yeah. So we can do better yeah. on that too. Yeah. Well,
1: and I think we, you know, people talk about wanting this community wanting to be more diverse in a lot of different ways. But I think a lot is around ethnicity, and 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 when people are telling you that when I come to your city, <laughs> I know that the percentage that I might be pulled over versus people other people. Like, what are we gonna do about that? We gotta figure. Like, first, we have to acknowledge that it's a problem, which I'm not sure everybody really wants to. But um, yeah, so I mean, it, it's a it's a huge thing, and I've watched it on the on the city council. I mean, I saw that you and and Raven and Stephen were out at Foothills, and I mean, I think there's that kind of conversation around Foothills Park, and that that you know, and I spoke at the public comment, so this isn't you know that that fills reinforces. A lot of those things. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate all, all that you're saying about this. This is good stuff. So let's move on to housing though, because uh, that's another big issue, obviously, that um, is just as passionate for folks here in Palo Alto. Um, so where, where are you around housing? And you can talk about it in any form you want, affordable housing, housing density. Others have talked about here's where I might build something. Here's what I might look like, all that kind of stuff. And so let's, let's talk about that. Where are you, where are you on, on, on housing in Palo Alto?
2: Um, I, I live in a house and I like it. (laughs) And my guess is many of the people who who live in Palo Alto in a, in a house or some other structure appreciate that, uh, that, that development occurred so that they have somewhere to live in this beautiful community. So, um, I think
0: 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
2: Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball.
0: Uh, what? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. When you have a problem, Box 12 gets you answers. The violence can crime hits too close to home. We want to make sure your voice is heard.
2: We're listening and ready to confront your problems head on.
0: How can Box 12 help you? Tell us at kptv.com.
2: I like to start with that. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... Housing is good. Well, you know, unless you're living in one of those Victorians, which we do still have a few, um, everything else is is, is development um, since the city has has been chartered. So, um, you know, we're really lucky that we did have a period of of development and growth in Palo Alto that resulted in a lot of the, the mid-century homes. For example, we had a, a development during that time. Um, but you know, there's also the the fear that if we continued doing that, that we would sprawl. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to go up into the Hills and we don't want to encourage other communities to, you know, um, take over the central Valley, which, you know, is America's uh, bread basket, right? Like food basket. We, we want to be able to continue providing food there and, and um, have Housing near work uh, the challenge with Palo Alto is that it grows three times in size during the work day when it's not mm-hmm. pandemic times, so yep. you know are we prepared to do that and I think many of us are are not yet prepared for that um, but we we do have uh, you know the ability to recognize that there are some people who who need to be here and there's not housing for them and that's why they may be living in an rV or a car um, uh or um, not even have that much shelter, right? We do have people here that, that are seeking housing solutions and uh, we, we need to address that, right? Maybe they're taking care of, um, you know, an elderly relative or maybe their, their child is at the hospital or who knows what their reason is. Maybe they're, um, the rental they were, were using has gone off the market, right? We don't know. And, and their kids are in school and they don't want to leave, right? People have their reasons they want to be here. And so we need to recognize that. And I think um, we have have the option to get a little bit more creative at how we're approaching housing. And I'll I'll give you an example. I've been on the PTC for two years, and we finally had one uh, large housing project come before us in August. Mm -hmm. And it started out as, um, I think it was something like 16 homes. And then uh, when we finally approved it, it, it was 102 Mm. Uh, they had re thought about what, what kind of folks might want to live here. How can we address, um, the, the smaller families or the individuals who may want housing? Um, and, and it's really focused on proximity to workplaces and mm-hmm. biking. It has a, a heavy focus on biking, um, bike parking, bike accessibility and things like that. so it's, it's really interesting that we were able to, uh, get creative about how to, how to approach this project and give good feedback to the developer that they were interested in. So, this is going to be built in a commercial, formerly commercial uh, zone. So that's a place we can start to look at some of these. Um, some of we may have more vacant properties there that that were commercial and we can't fill them for whatever reason. Maybe the developer, or the owner, wants to to look at putting housing there. Maybe, maybe it would be appropriate. In this case, this building was pretty close to the highway and to the train station in, on San Antonio. So, um, you know, I think that worked out. But we, we can start asking, you know, are all these property, all the properties zoned correctly to encourage development in places that, that will meet with community agreement?
1: Right, right. What was the pushback on that project?
2: was approved uh on the planning commission six to one so we didn't have pushback okay. yeah. um the the one one dissenter um uh i believe she wanted to work on the bike plan more before approving it because uh it's right on san antonio which is you know is a little yeah. it's a it's a it's a busy street well,
1: it's a little dicey yes yeah
2: so <laughs> uh and i think that was totally valid feedback so you right. know i think i think that that there are projects out there that we can get community agreement on. We just have to find them and, and listen. You know, part of the the process is is knowing that you have a goal and, and listening to the concerns and trying to find a solution that that addresses those concerns while still having a project that meets the goals.
1: Right. Well, it does seem like when we start talking about housing here, and again, this is that that era, that topic here is fairly new for me. Just um, and we have a lot of folks in our congregation that are super involved with all of all of this. And um, you know, it, it does come down to folks who like either if you build more housing, it's gonna destroy the fabric of Palo Alto. I right? that one extreme of you wanna build an eight unit four story thing in the middle of my neighborhood. And I'm like, I don't actually think anybody's saying that. And I wouldn't want that. Like it seems like what you're talking about does feel like we can find places. It just feels like there should be some solutions. But you might have to give some things up. I mean, you know, do, we, do you build differently on El Camino or on California or on some other places that it's not about, like, we're not putting this monstrosity right in the middle of, of this sleepy neighborhood suburban area. But it feels like sometimes yeah. we get in this, it's this extreme either or. So I appreciate you kind of yeah. offering that middle ground.
2: I will also share this with you. I live in Barron Park. It's a beautiful community. It's one of the most desirable neighborhoods in Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not because it's upscale, but because it's beautiful and different and a little bit more country. Mm -hmm. Um, But I live in the middle of a variety of housing types. Mm -hmm. And it does not diminish my (laughs) joy of living here one iota. There is a, a high-rise apartment over here. There are townhomes here, low-rise apartments here, a large complex of low-rise apartments over there. We have people with ADUs. We have people that are doing duplexes. I don't know if they're, right. you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: we'll, we'll assume they're grandfathered in. <laughs> um, you know, but, but the point is that everything is here. And yeah. I, first of all, you don't know necessarily if how the house is being used um my house is a one-story home but there's several two-story homes on on our street it doesn't diminish to me it it, it didn't
1: ruin the experience of living in Alto for you
2: no it didn't and and i don't know if one family is living in that home or not or if it's two i don't know and it's really not my business right it's it's a it's our street we're neighbors and i love them Right? That's mm-hmm. just the bottom line. So um, I would say it's even improved my experience because one of my friends was able to move here because a smaller home was available for their family mm-hmm. instead of having to leave town when their rental went off the market. So, you know, we have to think about how can we, you know, not just what are we going to lose if we build something, but what are we going to gain as a community, yeah. right? Are we going to be able to have our teachers live in Palo Alto? Wouldn't that be amazing? I know. Right? Yeah. Right. I did an emergency preparedness training with a neighborhood a couple of years ago and uh, they assigned like little roles for you to be. And I was assigned to be the triage nurse and I raised my hand, but I'm not a nurse. And they're like, yeah, we don't have a lot of nurses who can afford to live in this community. Yeah. And it crushed yeah. me. It crushed, I was like, I still think about it. It haunts me because, you know, what if a disaster occurs at night and all of our nurses are living in you know, wherever their two-hour yeah. commute is. Like, that's dangerous. What can we do to be to have yeah. a, a complete community?
1: Right. You don't want a bunch of tech people going out there saying, "Oh, right, I got it. I can. I, I
2: got this we'll just reboot you. You'll be fine. Just,
1: where's the thing? Where's the thing? The pin in the back of your head. I can certainly just put you in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's the thing that, and this is not just here, but anywhere that that considers itself progressive and whatever that, word means and self-relative, but like it's progressive until it feels like I'm going to lose something. And then I I can't see that, that, that place we've been trying to get to. And it begins, I think, cloud this idea that we gain from diversity, it's harder work. It requires us to really be in it. But um, I, that's what I, I get frustrated about. And I've, and I've experienced here a little bit is this, we have this ideal about who we think we are, but Maybe we used to be, I don't even know if that's true, but the work to get to that place seems like we're, we haven't come to some agreement that we want to do that work together. And I, and I hope that's not true, but that's kind of been my experience. And so far is people talking about how, do, how progressive this place is. And then you see these elements of like, well, are we, I mean, Foothills Park for me is a great example of that. And that just kind of says we're, we're all these things, but yet we still have this thing that, is not particularly helpful in getting us there. But, well,
2: um, I, I would say, you know, just to to play devil's advocate here, sure. um, yeah. you know, people are people are always, especially the fighters, you know, in our community, they're always protecting something, and this may put us at odds because, you know, um, something that that they're trying to protect may interfere with something we're trying to protect, right? We're trying to protect the right to live here or the right to, to, to develop our community so that it can be a little bit more inclusive. Right. But maybe someone else is, is protecting um, from, from their, you know, decades of experience of neglect for their particular community or part of the community. And, and that's where they're coming from. We we really, I, I would say, listen to people in good faith. They, they have their reasons. And if we can, you know, change anything at all about city council over the the next few years, I would say rejecting the, the frame, that it's us or them. And in Palo Alto, it's, it's really easy to fall into this because many of us are, are well-educated leaders in our community or in our workplace. Um, or in our clubs or organizations, right? We have things we're standing for, people, and we're trying really hard to to further um, group goals. But it's it's not productive to to put us into camps. And so I'm I've done a lot of this, and I apologize about about doing it now. But um, I've done a lot of like pushing back on the frame, the frame that we have to be in opposition. I don't believe we are. I believe we we may be uh, representing different interests at any given time. Um, and even I had a nice 30 minute conversation with a a man about the Foothills park and, you know, he knew exactly who I was and where I stood on it. You know, I'm I'm for opening it. Um, but we talked about it and I listened to him and I think, you know, I think that meant a lot. Yeah. He, 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 he had his reasons and, and part of them were historical and, um, you know what what i think the discussion around foothills should be is the historical context has has passed us by the current context is that it's not right anymore it may have been mm-hmm. the decision we made at the time but it's certainly not right anymore so i think that's yeah. that's kind of how i'm i'm framing it uh, because the the modern context is different and it is exclu- yeah. exclusive
1: Good Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think you and your listening is something that folks need, right? This is why I'm never running for city council. <laughs> They'd be like, "Oh, heck, no, what is he doing um, so appreciate i mean I think this is this is part of in our own communities how we help people kind of move and and grow and all that. so appreciate that let's keep moving though where our time is going quick uh, so um you know i'm I'm new to this community. Uh, but the church that I'm pastoring is not, they've been right here for a long time. It's been a church that is um, historically involved in social justice and activism and all those kinds of things. It was a, it was an anti-war church during the Vietnam War. It's a sanctuary mm-hmm. church for conscientious objectors. It just has this deep rooted connection to um, public service. A lot of our folks are involved in campaigns, and we're co-sponsoring the um, uh, the climate change forum next month. Um, multiple presidents of the League of Women Voters are members of this congregation. And we have these just kind of badass women that have just you know and so, um, and and other church, churches, synagogues, faith communities all have had those people over its history. Uh, involved in the life of of the city. How do you see and have you experienced or how do you see faith communities? How, how can we be both helpful in process, but also pushing and, you know, how, what do you see the role of faith communities in, in the life of the city?
2: Well, I, I really appreciate the backstory there. I didn't know all of that uh, about the FPC. That's really beautiful. Um, <clears throat> you know, the faith communities are places where we get to talk about things in a, often in a less polarizing light than perhaps when we put on our advocacy hat at City Hall, right? And so I think it's really wonderful how many of our faith communities in Palo Alto are uh, encouraging people to register to vote and, and, and educate themselves on who are the candidates or the issues or the causes. Um, I've seen a lot of that over the years through various different organizations, and it's absolutely wonderful. Um, <clears throat> I think especially with the, the housing issue and um, the institutional racism issue, these are incredible opportunities for the faith community, and it's, it's been wonderful to observe you guys stepping up um, and, and really helping this dialogue occur Um, with the housing. I have seen um, with, with like the, the parking lot programs, the overnight parking programs um, that was, that was a really meaningful step for Palo Alto. And I know we didn't get to take advantage of it too much because of COVID, but just the, the ability to say, my goodness, this has to be addressed. We have to have a safe place for people. Um, That was sort of a reset moment, I think, on the the unhoused discussion in Palo Alto. So I think that was an excellent leadership opportunity that that y'all really stepped up to. Um, And getting involved in in participating in um, actions around institutional racism and the Black Lives Matter Uh, advocacy, that has been wonderful, too. And I've I've seen many people from um, different faith organizations present at those actions. So that's validating, but also, you know, a signal that what kind of protest this is, right? These are conscientious, uh, intentional, but peaceful protests. And Mm -hmm. it's It's such a weird thing to think about, you know, can can a protest be effective if it's peaceful, but it can. And we showed that because I think we had a tremendous outpouring of participation in those actions this summer. So Mm -hmm. um, I was really proud of our community for that. And it's wonderful to see you there. Um, What else can you do? I think I would say continue some of these dialogues after the election so that we can get used to talking about it, these issues again with each other. And it sounds, it sounds so simple, like how could that ever work? But it really does. It doesn't take much to, to turn from a frustrated, uh, not listening monologue to a uh, you know, resolution of people who learn how to listen to each other and making that a dialogue. And that's something every member of our community needs, not just you know, people on council, but people who want to engage with council and people who want to affect change. So I think this, this right. that you're doing now is wonderful, and I think it's going to be uh, important as we continue after the election.
1: Great. great, Thank you. Uh, before we take, uh, we have uh, some questions lining up in the Q&A. So just you kind know, of briefly, I don't know if, you know if you can really do this briefly, but what's your vision for Alto? Let's say you get elected. And you now have two terms. What does Palo Alto look like, or what is it beginning to look like? Because uh, it has adopted Carrie Templeton's vision for the future. What what, are, what does that what does that look uh, like?
2: All right. Well, um, let's see. Our our kids can get themselves to school on a bus if they need to. Our school mm-hmm. is a little bit further away from home, and it's too far to bike for my little one. Um, but it would it it would be a vision where he could get on the bus for free and go to school and then go to after school activity uh, more independently. Um, And so could um, their grandmother if she comes out to visit, right? I would like to see her be able to get around town and not worry about whether, you know, she's uh, comfortable driving in a new city or something like that, Mm -hmm. right? So I would love to see better public transit that covers the whole of the city. Right now, we don't have that we, we have, we had a shuttle that goes up and down Middlefield uh, sometimes, but not in a way that my kids can use it for right, sure. Right. Um, so I, I would love to see that. Um, I would, I would like to see people. Um, I would, I would love to see nobody unhoused in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty small <laughs> goal that we could achieve. Um, we, we do live in a land of abundance and, um, I think this is a solvable problem that we just have to decide to solve. Um, but I understand it's more complex than that. That's something sure. I would love to see in my, my vision. I'm giving you my optimal vision. Sure, that, um, hey.
1: <laughs> that's just fine.
2: I would love to have, um, more teen centers and teen activity like we have at Mitchell Park. I think that's just incredible. My kids love to mm-hmm. hang out at the library there and I'm sure they'll be um, using the teen center when they're older. Um, I love our festivals. I love when we have uh, like activities that are out in the street. I would Mm. love to have more of that. And I'd like to see some more of that down in Southern Palo Alto.
1: Amen. Amen.
2: (laughs) So um, yeah, I think, you know, I keep using this concept of, of a destination and, and it's something we have to think about. Like, do we have places that are destinations, things you like to just go and hang out, even if you don't have a fully formed plan of what you're going to do? Mm-hmm. Mitchell Park is one of those. We can go to the library. We can go to the cafe. We can go to either of the parks. We can go for a walk. We can play volleyball. We can just sit under a tree, right? There are always something fun to do. There is always something fun to do in Mitchell Park. We need a few more destinations like that in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in the summer, Rinconada Park is a great one. Right. Because you got yep. the pool and you got the, the access to the kids library and things like that. But let's think about, you know, how do we build community? And that's how you do it. I always run into someone I know when I go to Mitchell Park. Uh, mm-hmm. Can we can we do that? And how will that get our dialogue improving in general in Palo Alto and make living here a little bit more enjoyable? So those are some of the things I'd like to do.
1: Great, great, thank you. All right, let's dive in some questions. We're gonna have to take these quick because our time just went away from us. Um, so if you, answered, if you answered, asked two questions in the, in the chat, I'm, I'm in the Q&A, and I'll only be able to take one. I'm gonna go with Ellen's second question and I'm gonna read them. So for people who are listening to this later, uh, if state law mandates that police camera footage be released unless the incident is very exceptional, what can we do to get the Palo Alto Police Department to abide by that law? It's from Ellen.
2: That's a great question. Um, thank you, Ellen. I, I mean, let me just rephrase in a slightly more controversial way. How can we get our police to follow the law? Um, <laughs> that's their job. So we're going to have to hold people accountable. Um, what does that mean? That means, um, you know, not always prioritizing our relationship with our own police over the needs of the people. And, and that's a hard thing to do. I understand we have to have good relationships with our civic leaders, but I don't think we can compromise on following the law.
1: Right, great. Thank you. All right, it's going to go to the next one from Patty. Uh, Patty has two, I'm going to get, uh, they're looking forward to hosting you at Channing House. Uh, Hi, so I Patty. guess you're going to be over there. It's just uh, that crew over the Channing House. They're wild and awesome. Um, her question is this. In the past, Palo Alto partnered with Palo Alto Housing, now Alta Housing. They manage over a thousand rental units. Uh, do you see ways of building more with them or others like them They could provide housing for grocery workers, nurses, et cetera? So a little bit about Alta Absolutely.
2: Housing. Absolutely. I, I love this, those folks over there at Alta Housing and um, shout out to you all. Uh, would love to do more, and I think you know they are exactly the the kind of creative problem solvers that that I'm referring to because they know how to get it done they have all sorts of creative ways to to raise funding and to work with different municipalities on on getting it done. Um, we just need to to prioritize it and I would say potentially even understand areas where the community would be willing to be flexible if it created affordable housing. For example, mm-hmm. if um, a structure needed to be 51 feet tall to get the affordable housing and our limit is 50, is that an area we'd be willing to, to compromise? And um, I, I think we need to know, we need to understand what parts are, are flexible and up to what point and what parts are not flexible. And and if we can agree on these things as a community, I think we're gonna find ourselves um, with a little bit more housing for especially affordable housing.
1: So funny, the next question is is this. It says, would you support a change in the building height limit, at least ah! in, in certain corridors? <laughs> <I'm psychic. laughs> such as El Camino. Yeah. it was like, Oh my gosh. Uh, such as El Camino. So would you support the change such as El Camino from like 50 feet to say 80 or a hundred? Or I mean, I think they're just, you know, would you support yeah. some kind of changing? Yeah. In,
2: I'm not in quite place? ready for the, the 80 or a hundred. I know there are some members of our community, especially our housing activists who are saying, jump in the water's fine. We've done this in other communities. Um, I'm not quite ready for that. And, and here's why I think, it's important to bring the community along and, and to understand this from, um, you know, especially if I am elected to city council, like we have to represent the community. And if we need to make a, a major change like that, we need to get uh, community wide support. So um, I think there are some areas of flexibility. We need to understand where those boundaries are. And uh, for, for larger changes, it, it does need to be driven by the community needs and desires. So that that's really um, there's an educational component to that. And and I would be one of the people needing to, to get on board with it. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. That's fair.
1: All right. So um, we have about five minutes. Uh, Any questions for me?
2: Oh my goodness. I, I am, I am curious what you think is the the most unexpected thing that uh, about living in Palo Alto.
1: Unexpected. (laughs) This is so like petty. It's really dark here. (laughs) Without the trees? Oh, oh, because... Like, (laughs) like, and I'm like, what is up? So I wear multiple lights when we go out at night and my kids think it's obnoxious, but I don't care. I'm not getting hit. So that's, there's lots of other more in-depth things, but but I'm like, why is it so dark here?
2: It it is, you know, we... we, um, (laughs) Uh, when I first moved here, I was driving out near Arastradero, uh, the the Pearson Preserve, and an uh, uh, owl swooped in front of my car. And I was like, what? what? Oh I mean, I didn't know we were like in the total wilderness there's, out here. But- there's so
1: much nature here. There's so yeah. much. I'm like, can you birds, can you please shut up? Because <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. My wife's like, it's beautiful. I'm like, no, I'm trying. Anyway.
2: All uh, right, so get three more minutes. Oh, the lighting is for the for those those night creatures. So we have to exactly have to share exactly. Our space. I
1: I I mean intellectually I totally get it. I just, you know, <laughs> I don't like it. All right. Let All right, so yeah. uh, last few minutes. What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? In as uh,
2: quickly as you I can. I am reading how to be an anti-racist, um, mm-hmm. but I'm reading it on audiobook, so it counts as listening.
1: That's fine. Oh. Um,
2: yep. <laughs> um <laughs> I, don't, I haven't been listening to music much lately. I mean, I guess unless you count the music my children are making for school.
1: Sure, sure. Um, I just I started listening to the, the, the Southern Poverty Law Center's new podcast. Oh. Is, I mean, if you need more of this in your world, it's, it's called Sounds Like Hate. It's so good. Oh, and I'll just, check it out. Oh my, oh my gosh. Anyway, sorry, I didn't need to. That's what um. I'm listening to apparently.
2: <laughs> and then what I'm watching, I'm, I'm watching a lot of Disney Channel stuff because uh, uh, during the campaign, I, I get very little time with my children during the evenings because sure. we have a lot of events. So I let them drive. Um, mm. And right now we are watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Disney Channel.
1: Oh, so. yeah, that's legit. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, great. Um Uh, Thank you, everybody, who's been here. Thank you for being here with us. Remember, you can watch or listen to previous webinars and register for our last one uh, at fpresspa.org. You connect on Facebook with Carrie. She has a website. She's on Instagram at Carrie for Council. So you can find her all over the place. And you can always connect with me and all the platforms at at B. Be sure to follow and connect with First Presbyterian Church on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FPC Palo Alto. Subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto. Thanks to Derek Kikuchi for helping out again on the webinar, and again, thank you, Carrie, for sitting down with me today.
2: Thank you, Bruce. Um, thank you,
1: everybody. You're so fun. Again, thanks for joining us all, and we'll see you on Friday when I sit down with our final, the, our nine of ten candidates, final candidate, Stephen Lee. So until then, uh, have a great week. BRC and Friends was produced, written, recorded, and edited by Bruce Reyes Chow with zero help from his dog Vespa. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow, like, tag, and share on all the platforms via BRC, Thanks for listening to
0: BRC and Friends. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what?